for cultivating progress across the South, for working to unconditionally improve the lives of all, and for the bold underwriting of every gravy podcast. SFA thanks our visionary Louisville, Kentucky friends, Pam and Brooke Smith. Here at Gravy, we talk a lot about restaurants. And yes, it's mostly about the food and the dishes, the recipes, the people, the history. But at the end of the day, a restaurant is a business. And statistically, many restaurants don't survive past the first year. A majority close within five years. Meanwhile, for so many people, opening and owning a restaurant isn't a business decision. Rather, it's a dream. A dream tied to deep feelings of pride, service, community, and the ability to work for yourself. Here's some other important and hopeful realities about restaurants. They are more likely than other businesses to be owned by women or people of color. Four in 10 restaurant businesses are owned by minorities, compared to just about 30% of businesses in the overall private sector. Nearly half of restaurants are owned by women. In this episode, reporter Eve Trode dives deep into the family history behind one Los Angeles-area restaurant. The mother-daughter team behind it came nearly 2,000 miles from Cleveland, Mississippi, to cook Southern favorites. They struggled to get their business off the ground, closing their first place after just three years. But eventually, they built a business that lasted decades, and they defined success on their own terms. You're listening to Gravy. 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 A production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, Gravy tells stories of the changing American South. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm Sarah Camp Milam. Eve Tro has the story. This story starts, as so many do, with a Google search. Several years ago, the cookbook writer Andrea Wynn asked me a question. She's based in California, and I'm a Southern-ish transplant to L.A. She said, does anyone in Los Angeles serve Mississippi-style hot tamales? That's this unique Mississippi Delta version of cornmeal dough and meat filling wrapped in corn husks and simmered. I don't know, I said, but I'll find out. Clickety-clack and thousands of search results later, I found just one place— And it was reviewed by no less than Jonathan Gold, the Pulitzer Prize-winning food writer who tirelessly documented every cuisine in Los Angeles before he died in 2018. More than 30 years ago, he reviewed a restaurant called Flossie's for the LA Times. Jonathan Gold, Southern Comfort, 1991. Flossie's is a cheerful place in a corner mini-mall, a storefront shrine to sweet, heavy food and the Southern ideal of meat and threes. Flossie's is the closest you can get in Los Angeles to Mississippi boarding house cuisine. Come hungry. And right at the end of the piece. Then there are the tamales. Thin, spicy tubes of masa lightly wrapped in corn husks, intensely fragrant of corn and served in a searingly hot chili gravy. Real Delta food, great for parties. But you can buy the tamales by the half dozen, but you'd better get at least twice that if you want any left by the time you get home. Yes. Just one problem, though. Flossie's was closed. It shut down in 2015, and pretty suddenly, from what I could glean, 
Former customers mourned that they'd never again get to taste the meatloaf or the collard greens or the yams. I found a close-up photo of the mac and cheese on Tumblr. It's ideal. Perfectly clumped, crispy bits of cheddar sauce clinging to elbows of pasta. I can imagine crying and never getting to taste it again. I kept thinking about the place, this small strip mall restaurant where I'd never eaten and never would. I wondered what happened. So I sought out the one person I could find who could answer. Can you hear me? Yeah, we're connected. Okay, great. I found Sandra Foster in Cleveland, Mississippi, with a Los Angeles area code. I asked why she agreed to speak with me. So I believe it's only orchestrated by the Almighty God. Evidently, he wants the story of Flossie to be told. Otherwise, he wouldn't be leading up. Sandra did indeed own Flossie's, and her mom was the cook. In the first of many long conversations, she started by sending a picture to my phone. So have you gotten it yet? Yes, I see it right here. South Bay Restaurant Guide, 1981-82. to 82. Is that your mom there in the front? It looks like she's holding orange juice. She likes she holding orange juice because she didn't drink. In the center of half a dozen chefs stands a black woman wearing round glasses, a white Tam-style cap, and a cook's coat with a big warm smile. Flossie Miller. You know, when you look at that picture, what does it represent? It it represents something very, very special to me. That they acknowledged her. She wasn't a chef. She had never went to school before she'd be in a chef. But she learned and she loved cooking. I just hate that uh, the restaurant just, it didn't make it, so. Yeah. Let me say up front, the appeal of a restaurant story is often the sound. The staccato of chopping, the clang of the kitchen, the chatter of a busy dining room. And this story has none of that. Because Flossie's has indeed been closed for nearly a decade. That's not changing. But its story sparks bigger questions. What do cities and restaurants represent as opportunities and for whom? What does it take to make it? And what does making it really mean? Flossie's is a family story, a business story, and it's Sandra's story. I was 24 years old when I moved to California. When I hit the ground on that plane in Los Angeles, I fell in love. Sandra Miller Foster got her bachelor's degree in business and moved across the country from her hometown of Cleveland, Mississippi in 1974. I had never seen nothing like Los Angeles in my life. It was beautiful. She was following in her older brother's footsteps a bit. He was in L.A., climbing the corporate ladder at IBM. She got her own apartment and worked as a schoolteacher. Sandra had left a young son in Mississippi with family while she got her grounding. When it was time for him to start school, she brought him to L.A. to support on her own. But she struggled, couldn't find a groove, didn't love teaching. When I went to work for somebody, I wasn't creative. I was so fearful that I couldn't think. And then her brother moved away. It was extremely hard on me. Sandra married and had a second son. She didn't yet know her career path, but she did know this. She wanted to stay in California and start her own business. I don't know. It popped up in my mind. Open up a restaurant. Okay, I said, well, where am I going to get the money from? 
And then, for some reason, I heard about small business administration. I went all the way downtown, got the application. I didn't tell nobody. So I said, I can do this. And I sit down and filled out the application all by myself. They told me what I got wrong and told me to go back and redo it. I went back and redid it. And the next thing I knew, they said, you have the loan, but you have a certain amount of time to use it. The loan that got her started was small. She says ten to $20,000. Sandra already had a name for the restaurant, Flossie's. Now she needed the namesake. And I called my mom and I said, what do you think about us opening up the restaurant out here? My mom, she wanted something better in her life. She was happy when I asked her to come out there. Sandra's mom was born in 1928, and Sandra was one of her five children. When Sandra was young, Flossie went to work at a white tablecloth restaurant in Cleveland, Michael's Fine Food. This was around the late 1950s in the Jim Crow South. And Leo Michaels was the owner from New Orleans. I found a vintage postcard of Michael's online. Big sign in front, all capital letters, with a giant arrow covered in lights pointing to a stolid brick building. Air-conditioned, the sign says. Steaks, shrimp. It was right on Highway 61, the main road through town, giving way to the cotton fields that stretch for miles around. After a few years working part-time, Flossie became Michael's head cook. You already knew about quote-unquote bourbon food, like greens and black-eyed peas, cornbread. But from him, she learned New Orleans-style food. Seafood gumbo, uh, lobster thermidor, baked flanders, stuffed flanders. And my mom put her own little special touch to it, made it even better. And everything that Michael had, she made sure she would prepare for us. Sandra describes a happy childhood in Cleveland. Teachers who went the extra mile, relatives all around. The family always ate well, even if they lived in a modest shotgun house. It was on this main street called Christmas Street. Six or seven green shotgun houses. It was my great-grandmother, my auntie, my mother, and her five children. You know one thing? We didn't know that we were poor. And the reason we didn't know that is because of our mother. She never said, you can't have a one piece of pork chop and one piece of chicken. And once we have gotten as much as we wanted to and fed some of our friends, we still had plenty left over. This was not necessarily the norm in Cleveland when Sandra was growing up. When she was a teenager in 1967, Senator Robert F. Kennedy made an infamous trip to the area. He was invited specifically to bear witness to extreme hunger in the Delta. He saw empty cupboards and met children who said they hadn't eaten that day. He told a reporter and aide he'd never seen worse conditions in America. Sandra's mother had access to plenty of food for the family, but money for other things was tight. So Sandra and her older brother worked at the restaurant where their mom worked as well. On the weekends, her brother washed dishes and bussed tables. Sandra worked the salad station. She'd see her mom across the kitchen, busy and focused. She, by herself, would take care of every steak that was ordered, every lobster thermidor, every oyster vanilla. She handled it all. Flossie knew her value. 
And after passage of the Civil Rights Act, some staff led an effort to increase the pay for black employees. So my mom, they had a little protest. And she joined because she knew how much she was the number one cook there and she fought for more money. And so when they started picketing and everything, he got mad at her and told her don't ever come back to his place no more. He used a racial slur in that conversation. And Flossie left. She went on to cook at other restaurants in town. But none as ambitious as Michael's, says Sandra. Despite such instant and irreparable parting, Sandra believes her former boss did admire her mom. After Flossie had moved to California, she wrote to tell him about their plans to open a restaurant. He sent us a copy of his menu and told us that we, he hoped that we have great success. He told my mom that he hoped that she have great success. When we come back, we'll hear that while Sandra and Flossie's success in California didn't come quickly or easily, the determination they honed in Cleveland would serve them well. But first... For over 125 years, Lodge has been crafting quality cookware in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. It started with the iconic Lodge cast iron skillet made for cooking anything anywhere, and then turned to the seasoned cast iron Dutch oven and camp ovens. Now, Lodge is making history with USA Enamel, the only line of colorful enameled cast iron made in the United States. And like all Lodge cast iron cookware, USA Enamel is designed to last for generations. Visit LodgeCastIron.com to purchase your own USA Enamel Dutch oven. For Lodge's longtime commitment to the Southern Foodways Alliance and this podcast, we thank them. It was 1981 when Sandra Miller Foster rented a completely empty office space on Airport Boulevard in a southern suburb of L.A. called Torrance. Her mom, Flossie, had moved to town, and they set to work, building out the kitchen and everything else. It was all used equipment because that's all I could afford to get. Fresh, healthy cooking was their hallmark, so they carefully sourced ingredients. They didn't have the Internet then. I looked in the yellow pages, and I found a place for to buy my chickens. And because my order wasn't big for them to deliver it, I had to pick it up. And I had a little small Toyota. But I learned how to pack that little car. I had to go and pick up everything. Just like their food, the women made relationships from scratch with vendors, handymen, suppliers, across a wide mix of cultures in Los Angeles. As an independent business, they didn't have the leverage of larger places to negotiate. So reputation was their calling card. From the moment we opened up, people started coming and they started telling everybody else because I never advertised. She says they served people of all types, from office workers nearby to people who drove an hour or more for our meal. Flossie did everything in the kitchen. Sandra ran the business side and waited on every table. I needed help. It was just me and my mom. My husband wouldn't come and help us. My children were small, and uh, I knew nobody out here. But business was good, and she took out a loan to expand. Her sister moved out to assist. They hired a dishwasher. And then Sandra just couldn't get everyone on the same page, working in sync. And the financial risk felt too great to continue. We had to close that one down. And so that's what happened. 
that first iteration of Flossie's closed after just three years. The food had made a mark, though, and a local Black couple who also ran restaurants came calling. So they got in contact with us and wanted to meet us. And at the time, I told my mom, now listen, we are a team. Don't let them break up the team. But when we got there, what they really wanted was for us to be in the kitchen cooking. And I told them that I'm really not the cook. I am a businesswoman, and I will have to be involved in every aspect of the business. They didn't want that. So they persuaded my mother to come and work for them. Flossie became a cook at Aunt Kizzy's Back Porch. The Southern restaurant shared a name with a character in Alex Haley's Roots, a blockbuster book and TV series just a few years before. Sandra says her mom loved and worked hard for the family who ran the place. Aunt Kizzy's became a staple on the L.A. food scene. I found a menu from the restaurant back then, and I read from it to Sandra. Okay. Our menu consists of old recipes collected from our relatives and friends... Our cook is from Cleveland, Mississippi, and has 36 years' experience cooking Creole and Southern-style food. And this is on the front of the menu. So when I read that to you, what, what do you think? I think that that was just public relations based on a lie, because every recipe that they had came from my mother. Sandra thought her mom should get a stake in the business, not just an hourly wage. Years went by, but a plan took shape to get her mom back. Sandra set her sights on a small storefront. Well, thank you for making your way out here. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I met Sandra for the first time in person in this vast parking lot of a strip mall. We are at um, the 3566 Redondo Beach Boulevard in Torrance, California. She's tall and beautiful and had her hair in a black wrap with a bow on top. A serious gaze, but an easy smile once she started reminiscing with her friend and former employee. Here with Susan Anderson, my best friend. I'm Susan, yes, we're best of friends, like sisters, you can almost say. The women have known each other more than 40 years. They started taking long walks for miles every Saturday. Uh, That distance was about a good three hours. And every time we walked, we passed by this location, which was empty. It's nothing fancy, set between a laundromat and an ice cream chain. Sandra got the courage to track down the owner. She'd saved about $7,000 from a string of corporate office jobs. And they agreed on a lease. The location needed work, but at least it did have a kitchen. And Sandra convinced Flossie to join. Yes, I wanted to do right by my mom, but I wanted to show them that her recipes and her cooking does not belong to you all. It belongs to us, our family. They belong to my mother, and they belong to me. Flossie's version 2.0 opened in 1990, serving every family recipe you can possibly think of. Southern-style plate lunches and dinners six days a week. Every day we had fried chicken, baked chicken, catfish, and fried shrimps. But each day we had one extra. Like on Tuesdays, we have meatloaf. Fridays, we would have short ribs, oxtails, and we had a ton of sides, like macaroni and cheese, corn pudding, 
and we always had mustards, uh, collards, and we had candy yams, green beans and potatoes, corn, okra, and tomatoes, black eyed peas, red beans. What else? On Sundays, it was like a Thanksgiving meal every Sunday. Gravy, sliced turkey, she had dressing, sweet potato pie. She had a peach cobbler, lemon ice box. Lemon ice box pie. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. And hey, we cannot forget the Mississippi-style hot tamales. Soaked in spicy broth, they're smaller than what's typical to Latin American cuisine, with more meat than masa. I would buy a big chuck roll and let it cook till it get tender, and we would uh, shred the meat. And then you would take the masa, half cornmeal, yellow cornmeal, and half flour, and we would take that juice, it had to be real hot, pour it in that masa, and then you had to stir it by hand and, until it gets smooth. And then you boil the hucks until it gets soft, and then that's when you start rolling them out. What inspired you to have such a large and lengthy menu? Because that's my personality. She really ran a tight ship as well. We couldn't have any drips of any juice laying around. Everything had to be nicely wiped and kept clean. Sandra led with the discipline of the world's best kitchens. She was leaving little to chance this time. And just a year after it opened, Flossie's got a big break. That's when food writer Jonathan Gold reviewed it for the LA Times. And here's part of what he wrote for the paper that day. Entrees with a starch and two vegetables are shoveled from steam table bins. Two fragrant corn muffins are twisted into a link of foil and piled atop the closed containers. And your car smells like heaven all the way home. And that day, it it was a line. I'm talking, it was a line of people. A line was out the door. I'm like, what happened? She said, they got right up in the paper and look at this now. Did you ever meet this this man who did the write-up? Never met him. And uh, he followed my mom, I believe, from the first restaurant, but he gave us that write-up, and that would put us on the map. I mean, we couldn't even keep the fried chicken. As soon as we put it up, people would call in 10 plates, 15 plates, 20 plates. Mm-hmm. I tell you, famous people, singers, um, a lot of baseball players, they love the food. And I think uh, Shaq came here a couple of times. He gave me one of his gym shoes as a souvenir. Shaq did. But the success complicated Sandra's personal life. She says her husband got jealous of the restaurant, and her relationship with her younger son suffered in particular. Then her mom started to decline in health. Sandra worked with her to document every dish. I said, now, my mother did not use a recipe. She did not measure so I have this picture now of she's making something and she's about to just pour it in the pot. And you're like, no, 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 no pour it, no, pour it in no, this. No. Pour it in this right here. We got to measure this. And that's how I wrote down all the recipes. Flossie's was still booming two years after that L.A. Times write-up when Sandra's mom retired. She needed to go home. She needed to rest. I suggested that she, she go back. Flossie moved in with her sister back in Mississippi. Sandra would visit often, cook their favorite foods, and rushed back to L.A. and the restaurant. Then... I was on the phone with her when she died. She died in February the 2nd, 2002. Flossie Miller passed away at age 73. I kind of like had prepared myself for it, so I didn't cry. For some reason, I had strength. But nothing could have prepared her for what came next. Sandra flew to Mississippi for her mother's funeral. 
And while she was there, she got a phone call. I was called by the police in New York, and uh, my son had got shot in New York and had died. Her younger son, Courtney, just 23 years old, was gone. He had moved from L.A. to upstate New York with a friend. Sandra says she'd called and visited when she could. She says her son got angry if she pressed him for too many details about his life. She never found out what kind of trouble he might have been in. Her son's killing was never solved. It made me feel like I was a bad mother, that I didn't do right in some kind of way, and I blamed myself for it all. Sandra went back to her life in Los Angeles, heartbroken. And every night I went to bed, I would tell God, you know, I don't, I just don't want to live anymore. What, what do I have to live for? And I prayed to die, but after six months or so after my son had died, I kept getting up in the morning and I said, okay, it's okay, fine. You don't want to take me? You won't, you have something else for me to do here on this earth? Fine. I got up, put my clothes on, went back to the restaurant, and I worked every day. I guess that's what God wanted me to do, and he gave me the strength to do it, so I did it. Her niece, Tara Miller, was her longtime right-hand woman, alongside other loyal team members. Prep for Flossies started every day at 6 a.m. Sandra's team ran like clockwork, and she was the backstop. Something happened with the plumbing. I would get down on my knees and fix it. The exhaust thing didn't work. I would go up on top of the building and see what the problem was. It, it was nothing that I wouldn't do at the restaurant, and they saw me doing it. What I required of my employees, I required of myself, too. The rhythms of this work buoyed her for 13 more years. Then, a visit from the city inspectors brought the flow of the restaurant to a halt. It was summer 2015. They said Sandra needed upgrades for fire safety and more. And uh, they told me that it was going to cost me about sixty-five dollars to $70,000 to do it. She could take out another loan, maybe, call in favors. But in her heart... I knew I wasn't going to open back up. She broke the news to her staff. You come and pick up your last paycheck. And I just walked away. She shut down Flossie's with just a note on the door. Fans were left wondering. Eater LA, August 14th, 2015. Flossie's closes in Torrance, a sudden shutter. A tipster writes in to say that Flossie's appears to have, well, disappeared. A call to their listed number receives a disconnect notice, and Yelpers are starting to write in with news that the place has been shuttered up all week. Sandra says she always put her profits right back into the restaurant. So when she closed down, she had little savings to retire on. Her older son, Craig, was doing well. He had a stable job. He was in a good relationship. So with him settled, Sandra felt permission to go. I'm, I'm selling the house and moving back to Mississippi because I need to rest. She left L.A. like her mom did. Sandra is 73 now. Her life back in Cleveland, Mississippi, has taken some readjusting. 
the tendency for people to come over and knock on her door for a visit if they see she's home, the way everyone seems to know each other's business, she's used to a little more privacy. But she finds her peace, and she travels often, including back to L.A. to see her son. In our conversations, Sandra seems torn at times. Did she give the restaurant too much of herself at the expense of her family? During one of our talks, she brings up Nancy Silverton, the L.A.-based chef behind La Brea Bakery, Osteria Moza, and more, who's talked openly about the struggle of running a restaurant while being a mother. I read Sandra a quote from an interview Silverton gave to Vogue. She said, I would be a terrible parent if I wasn't allowed to work because I would be resentful. And Sandra agrees. I needed to do that for myself. I needed to know that I could do this. It was like it was a destiny thing on me that I wasn't satisfied in life until I did that. She's always felt a level of defeat in closing Flossie's. Her son Craig has tried to counter that. My son always said, Mom, you should be proud of yourself that you came to California, you didn't know anybody, and you stayed here and you built a business. And so I'm trying to start to pat myself on the back, and this interview is making me really lifting up my spirit and really making me feel that I did do something in this life. She says she wouldn't want the all-consuming life of the restaurant again. Yet maybe it's not over with her in the business. What would she want, I ask? A pop-up or some kind of special event in L.A., maybe? She doesn't want to force it. But Sandra says if God has something else in store for Flossies, she has the energy. She can be ready. This episode was reported and produced by Eve Tro. For about a decade, Eve has run shows, edited, and produced all kinds of podcasts. Her roots are in public radio, starting as a producer-reporter for national shows, then becoming a manager as founding news director at New Orleans Public Radio. Basically, she turned chronic eavesdropping, curiosity, and a love of writing into a career and never looked back. An Emmy and National Murrow Award-winning journalist, Eve works to uphold the highest editorial, production, and ethical standards while still having fun. I like that. <laughs> we thank Wendell Patrick for Gravy's theme music. We also owe a huge thanks to Clay Jones and Broadcast Studios for recording and mixing Gravy. Managing editor for Gravy and all other SFA media is my co-host, Sarah Camp Milam. Olivia Terenzio is our podcast editor. Fact-checking comes courtesy of Heather Cole. Mary Beth Lassiter is our publisher. Want to learn more about the Changing American South? Visit us at southernfoodways.org. Read oral histories, watch films, or listen to this podcast. While you're there, become a member or make a donation. Your dollars fund our work and help us make more gravy. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm Sarah Campmilam. Excited to lap up another episode of Gravy? Tell a friend. Gravy is proud to be part of APT Podcast Studios.